Have I learned anything interesting about our customers that I didn't know before? Boy, oh boy. Okay, opinions are like Everyone's got one, right? There's so much personal bias that comes into play when people are giving you their feedback. But yeah, you can't please everyone. Do we get messages and, and emails from people that may not like our mission or what we're doing? We do, but you know, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. So I guess we're doing it right. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Kelly Martin, and you're listening to Making It Work, brought to you by FedEx. This is the podcast that transports you to the beating heart of U.S. entrepreneurship. Yep. If you want to hear the real experiences of some remarkable small business owners, then you are most definitely in the right place. Each episode of Making It Work is a deep dive into a different topic. And this time around, we're asking the entrepreneurs how they get to know their customers. And we're not talking about a cozy catch up. This is how these founders find out what thousands of their customers like and don't like about their products. So how do you distinguish constructive critics from the habitual haters? And at the end of the day, can you really please everyone? Asking the questions is Tom Scallon. Got a minute? We'd love to know your feedback. When you're browsing an online store, it's a pop-up we've all become familiar with. Whether it's that, a follow-up email, or even a good old-fashioned call, it's clear that companies are keener than ever to know what we think about the products they sell and the service they provide. And small businesses are no exception. But with the advent of social media and online reviews, it's no longer necessary to ask for an opinion. Whether your customers love you or hate you, they seem to want to let you know. Let's talk with Jacqueline Rogers, founder and CEO of Greentop Gifts. This Atlanta-based entrepreneur gets her fair share of feedback and considers conversations with her customers as an invaluable pillar of product innovation. That's as long as the criticism is constructive. The way we've gotten to know our customers is they're always sending us emails and DMs on social media to let us know what they want. Our customers are very vocal. The biggest example of that would be our pajamas, our family pajamas. We didn't have those in the beginning. And people just kept asking for them because they're a big part of Christmas. So people like matching family pajamas. And I had no desire to do apparel. We first started the business and we wore these t-shirts to market our products at events. And people were like, well, where can we buy the t-shirt? And I was like, um... I'm not really selling t-shirts. Those are for <laughs> those are for our, our our marketing team. And so that's kind of how we got started in that. So customers asking for products. We also do customer reviews where we send those out about four weeks after they've gotten the product. And people are very candid about customer reviews. They will share with us if they like it, if they don't like it. I love when people don't get the product and they message me and tell me via review, I didn't get my product. I'm like, well, why didn't you reach out to customer service and tell them that you didn't get your product? Why would you wait and then do a review and tell me? Like, that's not helpful for you or me. But we use those reviews to help us with designing new product for the next year or ideas. I've gotten messages, very specific messages. I had a customer the other day that emailed me and said, you show diversity in children. And as you are, you know, growing your celebration crew of characters, these characters we have that are children of all different skin tones and ethnicities and hair coverings and the lago and skin and freckles and gaps in the teeth. So this mom said, she goes, I would like to see representation of children that have 
limb differences, right? So like if you have a shorter limb. So I said, well, can you give me examples or photos of that? And can you talk to me more about that? And I, I always ask them, I put it back on them. Can you tell me more about how you'd like to see that representation? Like in what ways? Because I want it to be authentic, right? And you don't want to do it in a, in a wrong way. So she sent me pictures of her own daughter and she said, this is what she looks like. She has a shorter arm. And I don't ever see books or anything that talks about that. And people want to connect with, they want to see products that look like them. And for children, it's so important for them to see those images that look like them so they can connect and see that representation in a form of self-pride. And so that is how detailed our customers feel that we're doing in this space of representation, that they feel comfortable in sending us these ideas and thoughts because they want these things to be shown in our products. And I, I think that is great that they feel like we can do that. And they uh, share and email us about that and lots of other ways that they would like for us to share representation. Do you not think that if you're only taking on the feedback of customers who reach out to you, whether that's by email or social media, there's a kind of silent majority who aren't being heard? I would say there probably are people who don't feel like they're being heard. And I feel like we are, when we're creating product, I try to make product that is reflective of our real world. And I look at like my son's classroom. He's in a diverse classroom. I look at when I'm out on the street and just conversations and things that you hear. So I would say, I feel like we're doing a decent job at it. We're in our first set of characters. And so I think there is always room for more representation and different diversity. But I think the biggest part is even if a kid sees a product and they see or see our characters and they don't look identical to them, there is something about that character that they can connect with. What have customers been saying to you? Is there anything that, that someone said to you and you've thought, I never thought of that? That's a, a massive surprise to me. It's not a surprise for me. It's something that we're looking at, but we do get, we've gotten a lot more messages when we started doing boy and girl paper separately that people wanted like a non-binary character. And there were a lot of parents that reached out to us and said that early on and were very adamant about, they love what we were doing, but they wanted us to do more. And that was something where I was like, okay, can we talk more about that? Can we do a, a focus group? And I wanted to research and understand it. How, in what ways do you want to see this representation? And that was one where I definitely responded back to customers and asked them for more information and questions about how we can do it and do it well. Small businesses hear from people who love their product and don't like their product so much. But it seems companies like yours, Jacqueline, that have a particularly strong social mission get more than their fair share of criticism and haters. Is that something you recognize too? Yes, we triple check like content that we're creating. For example, we recently, we have a character that is Asian and we were creating content around, we're celebrations. We want to be there for every celebration, bringing diversity to every celebration is our mission, right? So we do Kwanzaa content that we put on our social and our newsletters and our texts and tweets. We did Christmas. And so we're doing one for the Lunar New Year. And so we have these internal meetings about, okay, is this the right shade of red? Is this the right symbol that should be on this child's clothing? Should it say Happy New Year? Should it say Happy Chinese New Year? Should it just say Happy Lunar New Year? Because cancel culture is real. And if it is wrong in any way, 
you can offend people. And that's the last thing that we want to do. So we do a lot of research around making sure as we're creating this content that is as authentic as possible and it's never offensive and that people can connect with and feel a source of representation and not be offended. And that can be tricky and a slippery slope. And so there is a lot of conversation that goes around something as simple as a post on Instagram. Do you have a concrete idea of what customers really, really like about your product and what they would like to see improved? Yes. In the beginning, they told us there was not enough paper on the roll that for the cost of the product, they wanted more paper. And they were very vocal about that. So we went from a five foot roll to a 12 foot roll. And it's also... We're selling to masses, but our product is a high-end gift wrap. And in a lot of boutiques and stationery stores, paper is typically shorter. And so whereas they're not familiar with that because they normally have bottom mass retailers that sell huge rolls of paper at a thinner weight, um, it's kind of educating them on our quality, our products, and what makes us different. And we also have had a lot of customers that have reached out to us and said things like, I'm a grandmother with you know, biracial children, and I have been looking for these type of products. And so getting that feedback has also helped us understand demographics and markets and people to target and how do we want to work with them and share with them our products. And we joke about it a lot. We get a lot of orders from seniors or grandparents who will call us and say, I want to place an order over the phone. <laughs> and it tickles us and it's super cute. So walking them through how to place the order on the site and explaining that to them is always fun and things that we get from our customers and feedback. In the last season of Making It Work, Jacqueline, we spoke to Casey from Blended Designs. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they have a very similar concept to you. Um, their mission is to have a greater representation of people of color on their products. Speaking to Casey, the thing I learned was that you can't really please everybody. You can't create a bespoke product for every single person. Do you find you have this same challenge explaining that to people? I know Casey very well. She's a great friend of mine with Blended Designs. And yes, yeah, so our product, when we started we just had a black Santa Claus and now we've expanded into birthdays and celebration products that really reflect our real world. So it's kind of broadening our audience. Um, but there were definitely people who were like, why does Santa have to be black? Why does it matter? And who did not see the relevance or importance of it. And then I had friends that were not people of color who were like, I love it. I think it's important for our kids to see this diversity. And I always say, I think it's important for all children to see diversity, not just black and brown children, because if you don't ever see it, then you don't understand it. And then you have these questions behind it or you're confused behind it. And so maybe your classroom or your your friend circles are diverse, but I think it's so important for children to see that at young ages. And so for us, we're really intentional about it. But yeah, you can't please everyone. Do we get messages and, and emails from people that may not like our mission or what we're doing? We do. But, you know, my husband and I joke, there's a Kevin Hart skit where, you know, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. So I guess we're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Jacqueline's right. You can't please everyone. But that doesn't stop her tirelessly exploring new areas for innovation. Like she says, she wants to create products featuring characters that every child can connect with. And her conversation with parents and grandparents give her a personal insight that helps shape the business. Jacqueline's not the only one who's always keen to get to know her customers better. In fact, our next entrepreneur 
is so keen, she's created her own. Stephanie Duncan is co-owner of Floral Genius, a US-based flower frog manufacturer, and Harmony Harvest, a fresh-cut flower farm in Weyers Cave, Virginia. Recognising the diversity in her customer base, she went about creating personas in order to give her customers a more personalised user experience. Whether it's Gloria the Gardener or Tara the Trendsetter, she truly has a persona for everybody. I wonder which one I am. So we actually have multiple types of customers. And what we've done is we have actually, like we built personas. And this is an exercise that maybe like some people think is a little silly, but I think it's a Totally important and a ton of fun. I think it's fun. Maybe I'm a marketing nerd, but we built personas. We really broke out kind of, we looked across our social media. We looked across some of the, you know, what people were engaging with in our newsletter segments. And we kind of like pinpointed five, actually there's four, four customers for us. And we gave them a name and we thought about where do they shop? Who influences their buying decisions? What What is their daily routine? What are the things that keep them up at night? What are the things that make them happy? What kind of car do they drive? And just really kind of like drilling into these basic habits of these personas, we've really been able to like craft marketing and develop products around these people. And so since we've developed these personas, you know, the next goal is to try to like, okay, let's try to put some data to them, right? Like, let's see if we can like segment our current customer lists out a little bit based on these personas. Just for the benefit, Stephanie, of the listeners that haven't heard of personas, these are the things that companies use to segment their customer base. So it would be like a busy business person who doesn't have much time for shopping and stay-at-home parent who has more free time during the day, that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Yes. And you can find templates for like a, a customer profile or a persona online. Some of them have really granular information. Some of them have just really basic information we went somewhere a little bit more towards granular just to kind of dig in pretty good. But we learned that like your customer is, it can be multiple different people. But if you know who they are, you can really communicate well with them. And I, I think that's one of the things that people for the sake of efficiency want to just put the same message out there to everybody all the time over and over and over again and wondering why I'm not really getting a whole lot of results. And it's because, well, people want to be talked to in a relevant way. And so we've really tried to kind of drill into that. And that's definitely one of our big goals for the upcoming year is to, okay, now that we kind of have defined these and we have products kind of associated to each one, how can we now take our actual customer list and try to divvy them out into a different persona so that we can start talking to them much more accurately, being much more relatable with them. And you could give them names as well. Oh, I did. I gave them all names. What, what are they called? Uh, we have Gloria the Gardener. We have Farah the Flowerhead. We have Laura the Local Lover. And ooh, who was our last one? Oh, Tara the Trendsetter? Yeah, yeah Tara the Trendsetter. We don't focus on Tara as much uh, yet because <laughs> I'm like too old, right? When it comes to like trend setting, I feel like, you know, as a 30 something, I'm like, might as well be a grandma. But luckily I have Zoe who's very young and spirited and she keeps me cool. 
between me and you, Tara the Trendsetter sounds like a lot of hard work, high maintenance. She is. Yeah, I can imagine. She, yes, she is. She wants, yes. <laughs> yes, she she is. Let's talk about these personas a little bit more. A lot of businesses really struggle to get their message on point for uh, a particular customer segment. What you seem to be doing is really advanced and almost more like what you'd associate with a, a corporate. So one of my business philosophies is I don't care how small your business is, treat it like it's massive. Like I, I want to hold myself to the same standards that Amazon, Target, Walmart, whatever. I, I treat my company like it's big. And I think that's important because I think we get complacent when we say, when we feel like we can get away with a lot as a small business. And I think that that does it to our customers any justice. It might feel like that's a big corporate thing to do, but it's really not. And this is the way I've approached my personas. You could approach it totally differently. I could have easily segmented our customers based on what they buy from my website. And that is a little easier to do, right? So like if you're selling uh, clothing, well, you have like this one group of customers that they are like sock people. All they care about socks. The only thing they've ever bought from you is socks. And then you've got, you know, people who sometimes buy like a t-shirt or jeans or and a pair of socks. Well, then you could do a total sock campaign to the sock people. And then you have your people who buy everything that you're like building outfits for. And I think that's another way to kind of look at like personas is that like buying habits. So you can create some really, you know, nicely converting campaigns um, through. And when I say a campaign, a campaign is you send an email, right? Like, I mean, let's be real here. Let's not, <laughs> we, don't, we can strip away all the fancy jargon. Well, you send an email, you go into your MailChimp, whatever it is you're using, your constant contact, your Klaviyo, you go in there, you say, I want to filter out all the people who buy socks from me and you send them a coupon for just socks. And I guarantee you that will convert much better than if you sent the same email to a bigger group that you weren't really sure what they cared about. Don't try to sell the sock people pants, Stephanie, because they will not be happy about it. They might if they look good with the socks, though. But you, the message has got to talk about how good they look with the socks, <laughs> you know, and like some the shirt people could care less about the pants and the socks. Have you learned anything about your customers that you didn't know before? Have I learned anything interesting about our customers that I didn't know before? Boy, oh boy. Yeah, that they actually like care about American grown flowers and that they are so willing to share their experience, especially if it's an even when it's a good one. And what I've learned is that with the right prompting and the right empowerment and the right kind of coaching, your happy customers can be just as valuable at championing your business online, offline, wherever as the unhappy ones. Like they always say, the unhappy people are the first ones to leave a review. Could be true. Depends on how the business chooses to talk to their customers. You're listening to Making It Work. Coming up. Historically, there has been what a lot of people call shrink it and pink it. And that has been something we've never adhered to. We look at every piece of feedback, as crazy as that is to say, and really talk through what are the pros and cons of every single thing. What's been the worst piece of 
constructive criticism that you've received? There's so many offensive things that have happened. <laughs> Entrepreneurs are always keen to tell you they value their customers' feedback. But do they? Yeah. Yeah, that they do. But that doesn't mean they take every opinion on board. Let's chat with Anna Van Pelt and Kirsten Coulter, co-founders of Niche Snowboards and Making It Work first-timers. Anna and Kirsten started this Salt Lake City-based company way back in 2009, after becoming concerned about snowboard production's impact on the very environment winter sport lovers were trying to protect. In 13 years, they've created a global network of athletes to provide them with product feedback and constructive criticism. But since this duo still considers themselves their own target market, they use a healthy dollop of experience and gut instinct to inform their decisions. Here's Anna filling us in. I think something that's very special and what makes this easy for us in knowing our customers is that we are our customers also. We are people who are consumers in this exact same space. We're in the same age bracket. We're in varying financial brackets. And for us, everything we do has come from an extremely authentic, genuine place. And everything we do also comes down to us believing in everything we're doing from like the perspective of, is this something we would want? Is this something we would do? And also something that's been very advantageous for us being women in an extremely male-dominated industry is there's there's very few companies in the snowboard industry who have women designing everything about their women's products from top to bottom. It's it's not that common. So for us, it's been very easy to design and target this segment of the market because we are that segment of the market. And, and my background is in design. So it's everything that we're doing is coming from the heart and it requires... I mean, obviously we pay attention to industry standards and trends and educate ourselves about the consumers that are out there. And we make sure we have a very thorough, educated understanding of our, our market space. We're both designers of these things and we're the consumers of these things. So, it, And we're not going to be making anything that we wouldn't personally endorse or personally use. It's all coming from a very genuine, authentic place. So give our listeners an insight into what women are asking for or were asking for in the in the snowboarding space that differed from what men wanted. So there's a lot of things. That's a really broad, broad question. But let's say, for example, in terms of, of graphics and product performance, historically, and this is changing a bit now, which is very exciting to see. But historically in the snowboard industry, there has been what a lot of people call shrink it and pink it, where they take the men's stuff, they'll make it smaller, they'll make it with more affordable materials, and they'll put pink, quote unquote, feminine graphics on things, or just pander to what they think women or girls will like. And that has been something we've never adhered to. Number one, all of our graphics, they don't start out as like, oh, this is going to be men's. This is going to be women's. Everything we make is just things that we think are beautiful, timeless, interesting pieces of art. And then we assign which products they go on later, just based on kind of like the, the personality of those different products. I mean, like, I think understanding that women have 
technical needs the same as men, understanding that women have broad aesthetic interests beyond pink, purple, quote unquote, feminine things, understanding that the nuance of aesthetics, like things can be beautiful in a wide array of things. You can have things that are all black and that are still delicate and sophisticated and beautiful, but still like kind of badass and knowing that like women want to be out there the same way that men do. And there is no difference between these two markets. So as female snowboarders yourself, you felt like you knew what women wanted in the space and felt able to cater for that. In terms of launching products and getting feedback for them, what are the practical ways that you do that? How do you hear about what people like and what people want to be improved about your products? We ride and test all the things ourselves. And then we also have a global team of athletes who help provide feedback and product testing and a lot of input on what we're doing. And also we've been very fortunate to be, I mean, we've like when I was in college, I used to work in a ski and snowboard shop and we spend have spent and do spend lots of time in and around shops with other sales reps, with distributors. And um, we've been, you know, members of the outdoor industry here in Salt Lake, which is such a hub for this. And I think just being involved, participating in the sport and talking to people, you know, making sure that you're getting a honest, honest, open-minded feedback from those around you and from people who are more skilled than you or who have just different experience and interests than you. I think that's really important to get a very broad perspective. And then we, you know, catalog all of these things, take a look at the broader picture, see what we could improve, make changes on, and make sure that we have um, an open mind and throw the egos out at the at the door, knowing that not everything we do is perfect. And if people are giving us feedback to change things, that's a beautiful gift. And we should be taking that to heart with a grain of salt always, of course. <laughs> so tell me about that grain of salt then. It sounds like you sometimes get feedback and think, yeah, we're going to ignore that. Okay. Opinions are like everyone's got one, right? There's so much personal bias that comes into play. People are giving you their feedback. You know, there's going to be a million opinions, but it might not always be the right ones. What's been the worst piece of constructive criticism that you've received? Like as in least useful or most offensive? Oh, well, if you've got an example of uh, both of those, then that'd be great. There's so many offensive things that have happened. <laughs> when we first started, there's someone from another brand, and this was not necessarily well-meaning. They were kind of scoffing at us saying like, oh, niche or niche, like you're just pigeonholing yourself into one thing. You'll never be able to be anything else. And to me, I just laughed because it was like, you can have a niche focus in a million ways. And that means you're a specialty, specialty person in that segment. So you can have, we can have multiple specialties that we're doing. It's actually quite a broad way to do things. And it was coming from someone with the most pigeonholed brand I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and even some industry veterans who we like asked to help consult and they would say, you shouldn't really talk about the eco-friendly thing. That should be like secondary. You should be just focusing on the snowboard technology, but that's what has made us special and unique. And to ask us to mute that 
is muting our entire identity as a business. And it's just a bit silly. Like the lesson there is like, let your freak flag fly. If that's what makes you unique and special, that should be celebrated, not hidden away. You, we're not trying to be everyone else. The market is already saturated. You have to find what makes you unique and celebrate those things and see that as a strength. I think that's pretty good advice for not just entrepreneurs, but people of all walks of life. Let's finish up with another unique entrepreneur, Chat Ratstan, CEO of NYC-based healthware manufacturer, Careonware. Unlike Anna and Kirsten, Chat probably hopes he'll never have to use his own products. But that's exactly the reason he does everything he possibly can to find out what healthcare professionals and patients think of his healthware. According to him, his product is never final and Careonware is always in beta. I think in terms of understanding your customer, for us, we're hitting two different quote-unquote industries. So we need to survey those end users. We also need to understand what system, hospitals, systems, governments, et cetera, care about. And now that we're entering the retail space, we really need to understand what does a retailer care about and what what works well and resonates well with them. So the first thing you can do is obviously talk to people. It's something that I've always done as part as being at Karenware. When I started the company, I surveyed over a thousand nurses to understand is this pick line cover really something that's important? Is it something that's needed? Spoke with hundreds of people with pick lines. It was really, really lucky to have incredible hospitals allow me to walk in and just talk to people that were there. Over the years, we've actually done surveys with hospitals to demonstrate the outcomes. So with the Mayo Clinic, actually, we, and by we, I mean they, did a three-year study on our behalf. Amazingly, they didn't even charge us for it. They just gave us amazing data, but surveyed their customers over three years and found that a 78% decline in migrations by using our pick covers. Honestly, we used to pitch to people that we would lead to a 5% improved outcome. So 78% was pretty unbelievable. I think where I'm going with that though is I think it's so important to talk to people repeatedly. What I tell everyone is there's no such thing as a final product here at Karenware. When you think about Gmail, for example, the email system that is used worldwide now for 10 plus years, they used to have beta in their logo. If Gmail can be used by hundreds of millions of people and they're telling you that it's not a final product, why can't we say that our products are never final? We do surveys with hospitals. And then when we're developing products, I think I had mentioned that talking to the end user and the end customer is a core part of that process and making sure that we're getting their feedback day in and day out um, has been super important. We're now working with a couple of really large healthcare organizations to develop products. And as part of that, getting the opportunity to survey thousands of patients every year um, to really make sure that we're getting their inputs into making best-in-class products. Is it not a little bit easier for you, chat because you have a smaller number of kind of power users, I would say. You supply hospitals, whereas other companies, they might have to ask every individual customer how they can improve their product. 
Yes and no. I mean, because we have an e-commerce arm where we're selling direct to the consumer, I think we still have that side as well. So I think it's kind of hitting both and understanding that a consumer might want something different than a clinician. So a great example is for our pick line covers. We have this mesh window that allows for the breathability and visibility. From a consumer standpoint, you are trying to quote unquote hide the fact that you have a pick line. So the whole idea around the sleeve was it looks like a running sleeve. It's like a cool thing that you have on your arm. It's not something saying, hey, I'm sick and please feel sorry for me. From a clinician standpoint, they want to be able to see the pick line site and the insertion site to make sure that there's no sort of leakage or any sort of infection. And because if there is, they need to get that resolved immediately. And so when we came up with the mesh window, the goal was to kind of hide it, but kind of not. And then the feedback we got immediately from nurses was, is there a way to make it still look cool, but allow us to see more easily? And so we ended up making a thinner mesh window that allowed for easier kind of visibility to it, but still was just as good looking from a consumer standpoint. And, you know, uh, from initial feedback, I would say that before we made the change, that that kind of a change would not be well regarded by the direct end user. So if you had come to my website and bought one yourself, you might not have wanted us to make a change that quote unquote is going to make it easier to see through. But when we did it, we did it in such a way that you as the end user couldn't actually notice the difference. And so it solved that need while not making your side of the story worse off, I guess. So there's definitely going to be times where it's conflicting and that you're getting different feedback from everyone. And I think you just need to wait kind of what is totally required clinically, what is required on the user perspective, et cetera. And even if it means it's going to be a costlier product, do what's best for both. So it sounds like you're pretty diligent with getting feedback from your customers. When you have a huge amount of data and a, mm -hmm. a lot of feedback, how do you go about prioritizing it and deciding which bits to take action on? It's a great question. We look at every piece of feedback, as crazy as that is to say, and really talk through what are the pros and cons of every single thing. I think it's really important when you're getting feedback, even if you're not making the change, that you let the person that provided that feedback know why you're not making that change. And I found that to be really powerful. I think, for example, with the hoodies, we ended up making a change to just making like we now have, and I don't know why I'm showing you because our listeners won't be able to see it, but <laughs> we, we have the thumb hole. It looks great. Yeah. So we have thumb holes now to basically like the running shirt where you can make it so that you can put it over and so it covers half of your hand so that when you're in a cold infusion center um, getting chemo, you can stay as warm as possible. And I think that that was feedback that we got from people of can you create a glove basically on it or how do you like cover it up and someone gave us the great idea of using the running mechanism and so we shared feedback with people that had asked for the glove saying hey this is amazing feedback and we really appreciate that a glove is going to be an issue because everyone has a different size hand and so then you might not be as comfortable it also won't look like a traditional hoodie then like the whole beauty of what we've created is that 
it's not calling out, hey, this is for port access or chest access. This is just a really good looking hoodie. And so we told them that and said, but we really appreciate your feedback and please keep the feedback coming. And the person was blown away, A, that they got an email from the CEO. What I always like to say is I'm the CEO, the mailroom attendant, and the janitor all in one. But they also love that, like they hadn't thought of the fact that part of what attracted them to our hoodie was that it looked like a quote unquote normal hoodie, like a good looking hoodie. And so they were like, oh, wow, that's something I didn't even think of. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me. And I think that that is really important and something that we can continue to do an even better job of is getting back to our users and customers and really empowering them to continue to give us feedback. We as a team do a great job of replying and trying to make everyone feel like they're a part of our community because at the end of the day they are, but I think it's something that we can definitely continue to do even more of. Coming up next time, I'm making it work special with HR influencer, Ben Brooks. If you're a small business owner and you're up against huge venture-backed, private equity-backed, publicly traded organizations, you may not have the war chest of cash, but one of the things you can do is have a culture that ends up being a very defensible competitive advantage that no amount of money can really buy. One of the reasons I don't really like Google's sort of thing of don't be evil is it's the negative. It's what you're not being. Because it'd be a little like a therapist said, well, how do you feel? And he said, well, I don't feel angry. It's like, okay, well, we know that you don't feel. What do you feel? That's it for this episode of Making It Work. Help us get to know you better by rating this podcast and leaving a comment. And while you're there, why not hit that subscribe button too? You can always send us an email at makingitworkfedex.com. And don't forget to check out show notes for all previous episodes on fedex.com slash makingitwork. Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Stephanie Duncan, Chat Razdan, Anna Van Pelt and Kirsten Coulter, and Jacqueline Rogers. Making It Work is produced by Yolene Marguerite, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg, with creative direction from Jeroen von Koningshoven. Music by Fresh Big Mouth, who created the song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub. This show is delivered to you by FedEx and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin.